Last week, we looked at Acts chapter 2, and we ended with verse 47. And we didn't have a long period of time that we could focus on that. And, and the Lord just stirred my heart. And I wanna, I've titled the message today, Salvation Breakthroughs. Salvation Breakthroughs. I doubt if there's any of us here today that doesn't have a friend or a family member or an acquaintance that doesn't know the Lord. And we love them. We like to be around them. And we, 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 we pray, Jesus, bring them into the fold. Well, I've been praying and I'm believing that this is going to be a year where the prodigals are going to return home. Where those that have been blinded, that, that blindness is going to be lifted by the Lord. They're going to see their need for Jesus and they're going to come to him. Amen? How many want a, a salvation breakthrough in your family this year? Amen? So I want, I want to look at this passage of scripture today. So go back and we'll begin with Acts chapter 2 verse 47 where we left off last week. In verse 47, it says, praising God and having favor with all the people. So they were worshiping God, they were praising Him, and what did God do? He gave them favor to witness. Most of us don't like to witness because we're afraid of being rejected. We're afraid that we won't have favor from God. But church, I want to tell you, just like the, the Lord gave favor to the early church. He will give you favor to tell people about him. Amen? The verse continues, praising God and having favor with all the people. That means they like them. They may not have understood this Jesus thing, but they liked them. They were open to them. They were willing to hear what they had to say. And that's the favor I pray for. Amen? I pray for us as a church that we'll have that kind of favor, that people will allow us, they'll like to be around us, and they'll want to hear what we say. They'll want to know what is that difference in our lives. In fact, the Lord has called us all to be witnesses. We see that in many verses, but one of the verses is Isaiah chapter 44 and verse 8. The Lord says, do not fear nor be afraid. Why does he start off with that? Because that's what usually hinders us from being a witness. He says, do not fear nor be afraid. Have I not told you from that time and declared it? You are my witnesses. Is there a God besides me? Indeed, there is no other rock. I know not one. Church, there's no other God that can save us. I know that isn't politi politically correct, but it's truth. There's no other God. There's no other God that dealt with our sin and sets us free. There's no other God that is the rock that we need to cling to throughout this life. Amen? So don't, don't, don't ever be ashamed to say, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes unto the Father except by Him. Because that's what Jesus said. Amen? It's not a matter of saying that my religion's better or, you know, it's not something where we're just playing some kind of a game. It's the truth. It's not what we say. It's what God's Word says. Amen? 
And we need to be bold like a lion because that's what the scripture says, that we are bold. The righteous are bold like a lion. And we're not going to back down because we want to see people come to Jesus. It's awful quiet in here. In fact, in Acts chapter 17, verse 6, we see the early church and they're accused of turning their world upside down. I would love to have that reputation, would you? I would love to see in the paper or hear on the radio, that Summit Church, they're just making a commotion in our community and people are coming into that church and accepting Jesus and they're, they're turning our, 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 our community upside down. That's what the early church was accused of. Making a difference. They were history makers. They were changing the world that they lived in. And we, and we see, you know, last week we see something powerful. They were teaching, they were preaching, they were fellowshipping, and it was all around Jesus. They remembered him in communion, and they were communicating with him in prayer, and they exalted him in worship. And church, I guarantee you, if we have a breakthrough in our lifestyle like that, then we will see the Lord give us favor, and we will see people added to the church daily. In the beginning, in Genesis, we see what happened. How many realize our families are dysfunctional? Some of of you are really going, whoa. Our families, there's not a family that isn't dysfunctional. Even if a family accepts Christ, we're still not perfect. We still make mistakes. But we see what takes place in the lives of families, and everybody in this world has a family. They may be estranged from them, but they came into this world through a mother and a father, and they have a family. And what I want us to see is that in Genesis 3, everyone had a secure relationship with the father. But in just a few verses, everyone is separated from God. In fact, Isaiah 59 verse 2 is one of the verses that tells us that sin separates us from God. It says, your your iniquities have separated you from your God. And that's what happens in our family. Sin enters the picture. The enemy comes in and stirs up and deceives But we see that the world didn't end with that. Amen. Aren't you thankful that God was still there? He had a plan from the beginning. And he made a way of restoration for you and for me and for everyone who wants to receive it. I want us to look how sin is transmitted. It's it's transferred down from generation to generation. So that every one of us is born with a sin nature. We're wired to sin. And you see it at a very young age. I mean, in our little toddlers, it doesn't take very long. One of the first words that they will learn is no. And they'll start using it. 
because they want to do their own thing. They can be a little bitty toddler, just barely able to speak, and they're going to learn that word, and they're going to start saying no. Why? Because all of us come into this world fallen and sinful, having a sinful nature. But God made a way. Aren't you thankful for that? But in the, in the first two sons that were born for Adam and Eve, we see how the enemy works. And I want us to look at this. In Genesis chapter 4, verse 3, we see one son that makes a covenant with God and another one that mocks the one that has made a covenant with God and becomes angry. In verse 3, it says, And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel's offering, and res- respected Abel and his offering. But he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. So the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door and its desire is for you. But you should rule over it. God's desire, his plan for our lives is that we would rule over sin. That sin wouldn't have a hold in our life and hold us back from what God has for us. Now, in this passage we just read, you may think, well, why was God upset with Cain? Because he brought an offering to the Lord. And Abel did too, but he didn't receive Cain's offering. Is it because Cain didn't didn't bring a, a firstborn of the flock like Abel did? Well, no, that's not it. We see grain offerings in the scriptures later that were acceptable. So what was it? I want you to notice one word. It says, Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Then listen to Cain, or Abel's. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock. In Scripture, God says the first fruits are mine. Cain didn't bring the first fruits to him. Cain brought whatever he wanted to bring to God. So he wasn't doing what God had told him to do, so God wasn't receiving it. And there's a message there, we can't worship God on our own directions, how we want to. We just don't bebop into his presence and say, God, I'm going to worship you today, but I was out partying all night. We follow his word, church, and we worship him according to his word. He told told Cain there, if you do well, in other words, if you just do what I've asked you to do, that's what brings blessing into your life. But if you don't, sin is there ready to destroy your life. So from that time on, from the first family was torn apart. The enemy continues to try to tear families apart. But God made a way of reconciliation. And I want to encourage you today. You may have a family member, a brother, a sister, a mother, a father that's distanced from you and you don't have a relationship. I want to tell you, there's hope in Jesus. Jesus reconciles families back together. And that's my prayer. That's my heart. 
Because most of us have someone in our family. And I've prayed for different family members for years. I still have some cousins that, that, that I don't know if they're saved or not. And I pray for them. So church, we know that we have hope because God is a God of reconciliation. Amen? Now I want to show you what happened in, in those early years just in the, in the same chapter in Genesis, but look at verse 23. We see in chapter 4, verse 23, that there's a man called Lamech. He says, For I have killed a man for wounding me, even a young man for hurting me. And if Cain be avenged sevenfold, then Lamech seventy-sevenfold. What's he saying there? He's saying God showed grace and mercy to Cain when he killed Abel. And so, if I sin even greater, then God's just going to be okay with that. God's going to show me even more mercy. So what has happened, there has been a presumptuousness that's taken over, and they're arrogant and flaunting their sin. How many realize our nation and the world flaunts their sin? And I don't have to go to, into detail, but you know that it is flaunted today. It doesn't line up with God's word, then guess what? It's sin. It's wrong. It leads to destruction in your life. But the world doesn't want to hear that. The world is now is a lot like it was then with Lamech. Well, if there is a God, then God's going to show me mercy, and it doesn't matter how much I sin, how much I go against his word. And most of them don't even believe in God today, but they just flaunt the sin. So we have a thing called DNA. Has anybody ever studied DNA? It's, it's amazing. The code that basically programs each one of us. And wh what's interesting is, you know, the nose that you have and the size nose that you have comes because of DNA. I have a big nose. My wife has a little cute nose. The color of your hair, or the lack of hair in my case. The, the, your eye color, the traits. It's funny, every once in a while, I don't like to, to listen to myself preach. I don't. But every once in a while, I'll watch online and I'll punch it for a minute or two. And, and the, it doesn't take but just a few seconds and I see my dad. I'll look at myself and I'll go, oh my goodness, I'm my dad. <laughs> you know, a gesture or the way I'll say something, it'll just, I'll picture my dad doing that exact same thing. It's DNA. But church, we need to realize there's also spiritual DNA. There's a sinful nature that is passed down. And every one of us is born into this world, fallen with that spiritual DNA, wired to sin, and we need Jesus. Yes. Amen? We need the Lord. And we're all dealing, whether it's our friends or our family, just like the original family here. Sin came to separate and to, to tear it apart. And all of us face that, and all of us deal with that. What happened in their lives was due to one certain issue, and that is the serpent. 
The Bible calls him the devil or Lucifer. And you may say, well, I don't believe in that stuff. Church, it's evident that evil is real in our our world. And if you deny that there's evil in our world, then come see me after church. Because I want to pray for you. Evil really exists. And people, when they surrender to evil and allow evil to take over, do horrible things. Six million Jews were murdered in the Holocaust because evil took over. Jesus said this in John 10.10. I I quote this all the time. The thief comes not but for to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I have come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. Aren't you thankful for that, church? What happened to Adam and Eve was a direct result of the enemy deceiving them, tricking them, and the enemy still does that today. But church, those that have been cut off, there is a way of restoration. I'm going to say that again. There is a way of restoration. There is hope. There's hope for your friends, hope for your brother, sister, your mother, your father. I've heard testimony after testimony of people that have said, I prayed for my mother or my dad. And on their deathbed, when they were 90 years old, I finally led them to Jesus. Don't give up hope. Amen? I want to give you an example. Some some people are like Nicodemus in John chapter 3. He was a Pharisee. There were only 6,000 Pharisees that were allowed at any one time. And the Pharisees, it it literally means separated ones. And they had their nose up at everybody. They wanted to know the truth and learn the truth so that they could feel like they knew more than everybody else. Or that they were superior. They were religious. And they didn't have a relationship with God. And in in this picture in John chapter 3, Nicodemus comes to Jesus. He recognized there was something different about Jesus. And in verse 3, Jesus speaks to him and says, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. We hear people mock, oh, you're one of them born again people. I say, hallelujah, yes I am. What do you mean by born again? Well, Nicodemus struggled with that too. The word there is onothen in the Greek. And it has three meanings. It means to go back to the beginning like Mitch would be up here worshiping and leading the group and he'd say, let's take it from the top. It also means a second time that we're going to do this and go through it again. And the third meaning is from above. And that's what Jesus was speaking about. He's speaking about a higher power, a source. He's talking about God. And in verse 5, Jesus makes it clear. He says, most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of water, that's not baptism, that's natural birth is what he's talking about, and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. Church, there it is. That's what we need, every one of us. We need to be born spiritually from above. 
Without it, we're not going to see the kingdom of God and we're not going to enter the kingdom of God. There's no other way. How are we born from above? By saying, Jesus, I'm a sinner and I need you. You are Lord and I ask you to come into my life and cleanse me with the precious blood that you shed on Calvary. Take away all of my sin. Purge my life. Lord, I make you the Lord of my life and I'm going to live for you. It's not difficult, church, but that spiritual birth will transform your life. And just like Nicodemus, the point I want us to see is, just like Nicodemus, he was involved in religion. He was going through the religious acts. But it's not about religious acts, it's about relationship with the Lord. Because some of us have friends and they may be in some kind of a cult or going through religious motions or they may be in a, in a church that is Christian and still not have that relationship. They can, they can be in a Christian church and just be showing up because they think, well, if I do more good things than bad, I'm going to make it to heaven. And nothing we do determines us going to heaven except saying yes to Jesus. Are you with me? I want us to look at three promises concerning salvation for our friends and our family and even our acquaintances. The first is the Philippian story, or the story of the Philippian jailer, I should say, in Acts chapter 16. I love this story. And I'm just going to read through it right quick. I'm not going to expound on it, but I just love the story. It was midnight, but at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to the Lord, and the prisoners were listening to them. They were in jail. They were bound. And yet, their eyes were on Jesus, and they were praising him. Suddenly, there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately, all the doors were opened, and everyone's chains were loosed. I said I wasn't going to expound. I'm sorry. I'm going to expound. Everyone's chains are loosed. The praise that you give God doesn't just affect your life. It affects everyone around you. When you come into the Lord's house, you give him glory and don't be ashamed of it. There's somebody that needs their chains broken off their lives sitting around you. And when you begin to praise him, God's going to come and he's going to shake that place and he's going to set them free. Verse 27, and the keeper of the prison, awakening from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had, had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he was responsible for all the prisoners. But Paul called with a loud voice saying, do yourself no harm for we are all here. Then he called for a light, ran in and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Church, that's the greatest question we can ever ask. Amen? That's the most important decision that we ever make. Many times I'll be counseling young adults that are dating, and I'll tell them, who you marry is the second most important decision that you'll ever make. 
And a lot of times they'll look at me like, well, what's the first? And I say, saying yes to Jesus. Look at verse 31. So they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in the house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes. And immediately he and all his family were baptized. I love that promise. That is a promise not just for the Philippian jailer church. It's a promise for you. God works in family groups. God wants to save every member of your family. Amen? And we see here the importance and the power of a, of a husband and a father leading in spiritual things. Pastor Todd could probably tell me the exact figure, but the number of inmates in Goose, the vast majority of them had no father figure in their life directing them. You Remember the Percentage? 87%. We have a responsibility, men. And you say, well, well, I'm I'm single pastor, I don't have a responsibility. Yes, you do. Because not only does God give us influence over our family, He gives us influence over our friends. You have a realm of influence in your life and your life will make a difference. If your friend hasn't had a father figure, you can be that father figure. You can lead them towards Jesus and see the same results as the Philippian jailer. Amen? Don't give up on your kids. Don't give up on your family. Don't give up on your friends. God's still able to save to the uttermost. I want us to look at some promises in God's Word. The first we just looked at. The second is in Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 16. Listen to what the Lord says. He says, Thus says the Lord, Refrain your voice from weeping and your eyes from tears, for your work shall be rewarded, says the Lord. And they shall come back from the land of the enemy. There is hope in your future, says the Lord that your children shall come back to their border. Amen? And, and while we're there, I'm just going to throw this in. I'm going to mess up the person doing the overheads today. In Isaiah, listen to this, chapter 60. This is a, a, a Bible scholars believe for the vast majority that this is Speaking of the church age. It says, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and the deep darkness the people. But the Lord will arise over you, and His glory will be seen upon you. The Gentiles shall come to your light, and the kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes all around and see. They all gather together. They come to you. Your sons shall come from afar. 
and your daughters shall be nursed at your side. What is that saying? It's saying we've accepted Jesus and that light of Jesus is shining in our lives. And it's saying that people are drawn and it doesn't matter how wealthy they are or poor they are. It says here, even the kings are going to be drawn to the light. It's talking about the glory of God on your life and that if you keep living for Jesus, keep growing in Him, keep saying, Lord, let the light shine down upon me. Let it shine through my life to everywhere. People will be drawn to you and even your children who have ran away from God and drifted away and become prodigals. They're going to come home. Somebody ought to be excited about that. I'm thankful today that all of my children love Jesus and they're raising my grandkids to love Jesus. And I believe it has to do with chapter 60 and what I just read. I wasn't perfect. They'll tell you. Melinda will tell you. But they knew I loved them with all my heart. They knew I loved God with all my heart. And that I wanted to be a better dad. And I wanted to be a better husband. And I wanted that light of Jesus to shine through my life and make a difference. I want to turn the world upside down. I want to be a history maker. And because... I stood firm in that. And when the devil came with all of his temptations, I stiff-armed him and said no. I had many, many people that have come to me and say, well, I raised my son or my daughter in church and now they've drifted away. Sometimes it was because the church wasn't perfect. The church made mistakes and the church hurt them. And I pray that we're never that church. I don't want to hurt anyone. But I know people still get hurt and get wounded. Other times, I knew that the, the father really wasn't leading the family. Other times, I knew that there were, the family was actually living in hypocrisy. Where they went to church on Sunday, they took the kids. You say, Pastor, you're getting awful hard. It's because there's an eternal reason. And if I can challenge the men, the dads, give it all to Jesus. The greatest man's man you'll ever be is when you surrender all to Jesus. It takes more of a man and, and strength to live for Jesus than it does to live for the world. I guarantee you. That hypocrisy in our families will destroy our children. And I'm not trying to beat you up today. I'm trying to challenge you, but tell you when you surrender all to Jesus, He will let that light shine through you. Amen? It's not about you and your ability and gritting your teeth and say, I'm going to do it. I'm going to live by the word. It's saying, Lord, here I am. Take all of me. I surrender everything that I am. Lord, fill me with your presence and your power and that I can live for you and be an example for my kids.
Amen? The third promise is in Psalm chapter 2, verse 8. And this is an interesting passage. Ooh, I better hurry up. This is an interesting passage because it's a messianic passage. In fact, Jesus quotes this passage when the Pharisees come and they're challenging him as the Son of God. They, they were saying, no, that there's no Son of God. And he uses this passage. And in this passage, the Father calls the Son the Son of God. But listen to what he says. He says, ask me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. So I want us to think about that. What's he saying there? He's saying, ask for anybody who is outside of my family and I'll give them to you. The word there is goyim in the Hebrew. And it means Gentiles. But it literally means other nations. And it's simply saying, just ask me and I will give you people from all the other nations in the world. And I know missionaries pray this all the time. I know Christians that pray this. Lord, give us an inheritance of the, of the nations of the world. And it's talking, and now think about this. What is God saying? He's saying there's no people in the world, no matter what nationality they are, no matter what religious, false religions they're bound in, no matter how great a heathen they are, that he can't save. Don't you love that? You know, throughout the years, there have been people who have actually been cannibals, tribes, different places that have been cannibals. There have been people that have offered their children to the God of Molech, burned their children in fire. There horrible things have taken place. And we, we immediately think, well, wow, those people are lost. There's no hope for them. Why even bother? And yet here we have a promise from the Father to the Son, pray for those nations and I'll give them to you. That's why the Bible says, out of every tribe, tongue, people, and nation, they're going to be gathered around the throne of God worshiping Him. Amen? I'm going to try to condense this and close. He says, just ask me. He's telling us to pray. I've got to, I've got to jump over here to 1 Timothy and share this. In chapter 2 of 1 Timothy... Paul writes and he says, Therefore I exhort first of all that supplications, prayers, and intercessions and giving of thanks be made for all men. Then in verse 3 he says, For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So nobody's going to be saved unless we pray for their salvation. Do you pray for your family? Do you pray for your friends? Do you pray for your acquaintances? Do you pray for people that you bump into at Walmart? And some of us look at the people in Walmart and we say, oh, they're just too far gone. <laughs> I shop at Walmart, I'm just kidding. 
I want to end with this. Remember these things. First of all, resist the spirit of separation and death. The enemy wants to separate people from God and separate them from God's people. Why? Because that light of Jesus in us is going to draw them to him. Don't let someone in your family or your friends or your acquaintances, even if they call you a Bible thumper, a holy roller, one of those crazy Jesus people, it doesn't matter. You be Jesus to them. You love them. You continue to to just let the light of Jesus shine through you. Don't let the enemy separate them away from you and you just say, well, I guess they're not going to be saved. Church, this is an eternal issue. There is a heaven, and Jesus said there is a hell. He actually spoke more about hell than he did heaven. Why? Because he doesn't want anyone to go there. Scripture says that God says, I'm not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Amen? We need to have that same heart. Secondly, when we're praying for an unsaved person, we're wrestling for deliverance from a spirit. And there's two things I want you to think about. In other words, you're going into spiritual battle. You need to be suited up in the full armor of God. And you need to recognize you're in a spiritual battle, but the battle belongs to the Lord. Greater is He who's in you than he who's in the world. God gives us everything that we need to go into battle and to see the victory won. But when you get mad at that brother, that sister, that cousin, that friend that doesn't know Jesus, when they may mock you or they may ridicule or they may say things, they may cuss you out, remember that they're being manipulated by a spirit, a spirit of disobedience, the Bible says. So don't see them as the enemy, see them as the captive that needs to be set free. So many times we'll just get upset at someone who doesn't know the Lord and, 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 and we just kind of, eh, I'm not going to put up with this. And we bring that separation. We need to go into spiritual battle. And remember when they cuss us out, when they ridicule us, when they mock us, it's that spirit behind them. And the captive needs to be set free. I'm going to to give you these two last verses. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3 and 4. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. That's why it's an eternal issue. Whose minds the God of this age, that's the devil, has blinded. Who do not believe lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. So when we go into spiritual battle, we're praying for that veil that the enemy has spiritually over their eyes that they can't see their need for Jesus. They can't see the truth of the gospel. We pray, Lord, whatever it takes, and that's a hard prayer to pray, but we pray, Lord, whatever it takes, lift that veil that they can see the reality of the Son of the living God, that He died for their sins, and that through Him we have everlasting life. 
And the final verse is in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 through 3. And you, he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. All of us were dead in trespasses and sins. You once walked according to the course of the world. According to the prince of the power of the air. That's another name for the devil. The spirit that now works in the sons of disobedience. The picture that Paul's writing there, giving us, is that our unsaved friends and family and loved ones are puppets on a string. Because they have sinned and and separated themselves from God. They've never asked forgiveness. They've never repented. The enemy has legal right to come into their life. And he takes a hold of them and he manipulates their lives and he hinders them to live in disobedience to the things of God. He hinders them from coming close to the Lord. And church, we can pray. We can pray and we can witness. I want the worship team to come and I want you to stand with me if you would. We need to always remember that the unsaved people act like they do because they're puppets on a string. In church, the message that the Lord laid on my heart today, I've been praying and and wrestling. There's so many breakthrough messages but I really felt like the Lord wants to bring hope to you. Hope and to let you know that this is going to be a year of breakthrough. We're going to see salvations. And several years ago, we had what we called the Red Book Ministry. And I'm going to start that again. And it's simply a red folder. Red because of the precious blood of Jesus. But in that folder, we had the names of every friend or every family member that we're praying for. And then on Sunday nights, the church that's gathered here would pray for their salvation. And then when they got saved, we would take a highlighter and we'd mark it saying, this one came to Jesus. And we're going to start that again. I'm going to have a red book next Sunday. But I want to challenge you one other thing. February the 27th, we're going to have Bring Your Unsaved Friend to Church Day. And the Lord's already laid a message on my heart. It's it's based on one of my favorite scriptures. But every time I've preached on that topic, I've had people give their heart to Jesus. And I'm praying that on the 27th, we're going to bring family members and friends. Invite them out to eat afterwards. Do whatever it takes. But be praying over the next couple of weeks that God will stir their hearts and lift that veil. That He'll break that hold of that disobedience, that spirit that has them in bondage. And that on the 27th, we'll see people line up across the front that say yes to Jesus.
Can you do that with me? Let's bow our heads. Lord, there's no greater purpose in this life after knowing you ourselves than leading others to you. And Lord, I just repent, Lord, for all of us this morning that we can do more. Lord, it's an eternal issue. Lord, you don't want anyone to be separated from you for eternity. And Lord, I know that our church can make a difference. That each one of us, Lord, give us the boldness. Lord, help us not to be afraid. Give us favor with people to let the light of Jesus shine through our lives. And Lord, right now, I ask you to lay on the heart of everyone here a friend that doesn't know Jesus, a family member that lives around here, Lord, that doesn't know the Lord. And challenge us, Lord, to begin to pray for them and to believe you, Lord, that they'll come on February the 27th. And on that day, we would see a breakthrough in the lives of our family and our friends that they would say yes to you. Lord, we want to be that church. We want to shake up our community. We want to turn it upside down for Jesus. So Lord, just come right now. I pray for your spirit to just begin to touch every heart. Lord, that your spirit would just empower us, equip us. Lord, to begin to do spiritual battle on behalf of those that don't know you as Lord. And that on the 27th of this month, Lord, give us favor with them that they'll come to church and they'll say yes to Jesus.